You are listening to Terra Signals, presented by Normal Paranormal. I am your host, Justin Bamforth. So Marty Haynes is a Reiki master teacher, an intuitive, a medium, an empath, an ordained minister, and an animal communicator. What doesn't she do? But perhaps most important of all, and what we will be talking about tonight, is her experience as a paranormal investigator who has helped clients in their homes for almost 20 years and counting, 18 to be exact. Now, in that time, she has worked on some of the most dangerous, terrifying, and unsettling cases you've never heard of. The ones that most paranormal groups are usually too scared to get involved with, and perhaps some production companies are too scared to even tackle it. Why? Well, you'll find out soon enough. Marty has been featured on various documentaries, TV shows, and networks like Nat Geo and Ghost Stories on the Travel Channel and RVN TV. She co-owns a metaphysical and spiritual wellness center called On Angel's Wings, located in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. It's where she does readings, Reiki, and offers various classes covering all sorts of subjects from psychic development, psychic protection, Crystals 101, connecting with your angels, intro to mediumship. There's a lot because this woman knows a lot. And I admire her. I think you guys are going to have a blast listening to some of the stories that she has to share tonight. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Marty. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, I admire you as well. You have a lot of good information in that head of yours, too. <laughs> well, it's all about collaboration, sharing, and you know, trading the war stories, so to speak. You've had quite a few of them. Over the years, yes, I have. Yes. Mm-hmm. When did your interest in paranormal subjects first originate? When I was little. I mean, I grew up being able to see and hear things that nobody else could see and hear. I mean, I, I grew up in a very re- religious kind of family, so it was more of a, you don't do this, it's kind of a crazy thing. So I just put it off for a while. When I went to college, I met a friend who knew someone and said, hey, I got somebody to talk for you to talk to and help you out with what you're going through because the stuff in my house was uh, was kind of crazy. It scared me. I mean, I used to sleep mummified at night just so I could get to sleep, you know, um, with a radio uh, in my ears so I didn't have to hear things going on. And it's crazy because I didn't think anybody else in the house ever heard it um, until years later. I mean, my sister was, my sister's six years younger than me, and she was in her late 20s when she finally said, I knew stuff was there too. Um, I just wasn't going to say anything and have them treat me like they treated you. So I've been all my life interested reading. The biggest step I think I took was when I joined the ghost group because of uh, Ghost Hunters on TV. Uh, yes, I saw it and said, oh, people do that. Maybe I could help people too because nobody was around to help me. So maybe I could help someone else out. A lot of the people tend to blame the TV shows, right? Because of the para entertainment out there. But in a way, those shows really kind of brought down the taboo about this subject. They allow people to talk about it. Yes, absolutely. And I guess we're grateful in a way for some of those shows uh, that have emerged. But you connected with a group that had been around long before those TV shows came out, right? Yes, yes. I think they were around, I don't know the exact amount of years that they were around, but they were around at least 20 or 30 years before I joined them. How did you hear about them? I mean, I know that they were part of the TAPS family, right? Which was connected with ghost hunters. Yeah. But did you find them through TAPS? Yeah. I went on TAPS to find out if there were groups in the area. 
and they were one they were the top one that came up so I applied and waited for that email to come through that said you're accepted <laughs> and there's there's a very vigorous uh training process you know they don't just like pick anybody right they have to kind of like vet people and and show them the ropes and yeah everybody goes through training um and they they uh, did a lot of classes and stuff extra over top of the ghost hunting part of things and that's where I took a lot of classes for uh, the mediumship and being able to teach what I teach the angels uh, and the crystals and learning all that stuff. So they had that on top of what they teach for ghost hunting as well. Hmm. Yeah, I remember uh, attending some of those classes long before you and I met each other and knew each other. And uh, those were very informative uh, classes that, that were being taught over there. And um, the, what was the town that they were located in? Oh, uh, they were Mount Holly for yeah for quite a while. Yeah, Mount Holly, New Jersey. You kind of rose through the ranks pretty quickly, right? Yeah, I guess I guess you could say I did. I I was moved into from regular house cases to the the heavier cases. I like to call them um, pretty quick. I was still uh, pretty much a trainee when that happened. That was an accident. <laughs> and then from there, yeah, I did uh, was a co-director for a while and when you first began there were they handling a lot of those heavier cases uh yeah they were they were a lot more than i thought there were and a lot of other groups used to used to come to them right and say hey look this is over our heads we're kind of a uh, little hesitant to jump into these types of cases and they'll pass them off to um to your group right yes yeah th- yeah there weren't too many groups that felt comfortable doing it and uh then there were some groups that thought they could and would get in it over their heads and run back and try and find some help to get get through it. You guys were like the cleanup crew, so to speak, you know? At some point, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Would you say that the people who came to see your group, that they were better off for seeing your group? Or when your group got involved with some of these things, it really started to, I guess, get worse before it got better? With the heavier cases, whenever you start to get help, it usually does get worse before it gets better. Only because at that point, the entity, the spirits, whatever, they know that their time is limited and that people are helping them move forward and get out of that energy. And so, yeah, it does It does tend to ramp up. And we tell people, we st- and I still do, I tell people that all the time, um, don't expect it. Uh, we come in once and everything's going to be hunky-dory after that. It It takes time. It's layers. So you have to peel back all those layers. I mean, some people would come and they would, you know, how long have you been dealing with this? And, oh, we've been dealing with this for eight, ten years. So you figure there's a lot of layers in there that you have to work your way back to, you know, before you get to that resolution where they're comfortable where they are. And then we had a couple cases throughout the years where there was no resolution. It was... Nothing to do with what the people did in the house. It wasn't the house. It was the land. It was uh, it was just um, inbred into the space, and there was no going back from it. We wouldn't tell people this, but some of, some of those cases were those uh, you know light a match and walk away kind of cases because there really wasn't anything any anybody could do. What do you think causes that? I mean, is it is it like a generational curse type type of situation, or there's so many different reasons for it. it could be a land issue it could be a home issue from history it could be 
um, a generational issue through the family. There's just so many different reasons it could be happening. What was the most common reason that you saw in these heavier cases? Really not common. Um, I guess a lot of times it was human error. Trying to do something on their own, again, watching the shows and thinking they could do it, or um, attempting to clear it out and irritating it more than anything because they were doing it improperly. That's usually the worst of it would be human error. That brings up the whole sage aspect, right? Because we always hear that as the, the metaphysical cure-all, right? Yeah. Just take some sage and it'll go away. But you and I have been talking about this, and sometimes that's not the remedy. There's other things, right? So let, let's talk a little bit about that. People come in here all the time, and I know when they got something going on because they'll bundles of sage or incense or black crystals for protection and I'll ask them what's going on and they'll say, oh, I got a spirit in my house. I need to get rid of it. And I, we tell people all the time, saging and smudging a space is only to add positive energy. Human spirits have free will. So if they're in a space, you have to figure out how to get along with them and work with them. Or if it's a human spirit that has um, a negative feeling to it, a negative energy to it, building that positive energy in the space makes them uncomfortable. Kind of like having a, a renter, you know, when you don't want them there anymore, you turn down the heat or turn up the, you know, that kind of thing. Has <laughs> that happened to you before? To, get them, no, no. And get them, to, get them to leave on their own or understand that they have to kind of like follow the pool rules of the house. You know, you set out those boundaries and those intentions and these are the things you have to do. And you can't just go tramping through the house, turn the lights on and, and turning on TVs and banging on stuff all the time. Um, and it's understanding the spirit too. If human spirits, a lot of times when you move into a house, it's, it was their house. And so you're moving in and you're, you know, people come in, they start tearing down walls or moving things around and stuff like that. And spirits gets a little upset and they, whoa, you know, what are you doing to my house? I tell people all the time, explain to them what's going to happen, how long it's going to take. You know, it's going to be a mess before it looks good again. We're re-renovating it. We're redoing it. Um, a lot of times that helps people out immensely. Just having that conversation and not a two-way conversation, but just putting out there to spirit, these are the rules or this is what's going to happen and leaving it at that. Having conversation with spirit in your house opens up that doorway to have conversation. And then spirit, because they don't have a time frame, they have it whenever they choose to. And it's usually not when you're wanting it. It's usually when you're asleep at night or, you know, sitting watching TV in the dark or, you know, in the shower or <laughs> all that fun stuff. So it's, it's really educating the people to understand that they're living with another human. It's just without the hard shell and how to get along with them and how to work with them. Like how would they discern a human spirit from an inhuman spirit or maybe just something that they, they can't communicate with for whatever reason? Get someone to help them. Don't try and do it on your own if you don't know what you're doing, because you can definitely make it worse. And then it makes it that much harder to get it calmed down again. So absolutely reach out and find people. There's, I mean, the Internet's a fabulous place anymore, right? It's free and it's, there's a lot of information on there. And there's a lot of places like ours around to be able to stop in and say, hey, do you know anybody? Can you help? You know, how can, how can we get help for this? Um, the other thing that I like to tell people is 
don't go to somebody who says they need $100 or $1,000 or $3,000 to take care of the issue. There are people out there that do a wonderful job of helping you for free. I mean, that's you. I mean, people come in your store all the time and you don't charge a dime for it. Not for that. Absolutely not, no. How many people do come into your store needing help or that you end up helping in in the end? It's interesting. We'll go for months with just normal customers coming through the store. And then all of a sudden it'll be one, two, three, four cases in a row that come through. So it's, it ebbs and flows, you know? Um, so it's not a really, like I can say once a month, somebody comes in, I can say the last three months, I probably heard from four different people that were looking for help. And that doesn't always mean that, that they follow through with it, but there are people that were looking for help before that over the winter time, it was pretty dead, so to speak. It was quiet, you know? So those times happen. It gets, it gets quiet and you think, oh, break. We're good, you know, and then all of a sudden you get people in and, you know, you know, the people that are coming in because they have a list and they're buying certain items and they're in a hurry and they don't make eye contact with you because you might actually see what's going on with them. But then when you ask them, uh, I usually you usually see the hesitation where they go, oh, well, this is kind of going on. OK, well, let's get you some help then. When somebody comes in the store and you sense that they need help, what's the first step? We like to um, get them to come in here, have a seat, and go through um, exactly what's been going on and how long it's been going on for and have a conversation with them. Um, We do check medically if they're on any medications and stuff like that, when they took them. A lot of times it's um, you got to check, and and I don't want this to sound negative, but you have to check the mental state of the person as well, too, because it doesn't always mean just because they have a a mental issue, anxiety or depression or something like that, that they don't have a problem. It's then you have to find out where the problem begins, where the physical ends and where the paranormal begins. And that's sometimes a little difficult. So then you have to start to get them to get that um, help from doctors and get the medical help and then work on the paranormal side of things. So it takes, sometimes it takes a bit of time before you even go out to the house and walk around, if that's the issue, if that's where they're having the issue at the house, you know. To go through the house, see what we feel. We take a couple sensitives in with us, not just Marsha and I. We, we have a couple of different people that we take with us and get a consensus of what they're feeling as well and an understanding of the space and the energy in the space and how, how, how it's interacting with each other. And then, and I say this lightly, set up a plan of attack, kind of, so to speak. So, because it never, it never turns out exactly the way you want it to. <laughs> Interesting. That plan of attack, what does that look like? What does that consist of, typically? There is no typical. In, in this field, there's no typical anything. Um, we have to know what the religious uh, beliefs of the people are. So, so we have to work in the religious beliefs, that side of things. Um, and depending on what kind of activity they're having and how they're addressing it, and a lot of it's education, some of it's education and blessings and changing the energy in the space and then teaching them to keep it positive. 
And sometimes it's talking with the spirit themselves and try and get them to understand that this is not working for both sides. And then if it's something that's heavier, darker, not human, then we do a whole different realm of things. You didn't really choose to get into the work or the heavier cases or the negative aspects. It just kind of chose you, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I was a trainee with the group and we used to have to post for every case like we were going to do it, whether we could or not, our availability. And I posted for this one case and I didn't know exactly what it was. Heard a little conversation about it. I wasn't sure exactly what it was. Knew it was a little bit heavier than the normal cases that we were doing. And I got an email that said, here's the meeting place. Be here at this time. Oh, okay. Um, so out I went and got to the meeting place. And everybody looked at me and said, why are you here? And I said, because I got an email that said to be here and be here at this time. So this is where I am. I, I'm just doing what I told. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to get kicked out already for not showing up to something that, you know, I don't know exactly what's going on. And um, the one gentleman that was helping the group, because we had outsiders that would come in and help that had more knowledge than us. I was getting, I was going to leave. And he was like, no, you're here. You're here for a reason. And I said, I'm I'm okay with driving home an hour. It's okay. I don't have a problem with that. (laughs) And he said, no, this is, you're, you're here for a reason. Somebody wanted you here. So this is where you are. And from that day forward, uh, I've been doing this. Took me a long time after that case because that was a, I was a bad case. Um, and it took me a long time after that case to get it in my head that this is where I was supposed to be. I mean, I was going down for a week or so down to my park in the morning and just talking to that creator and saying, you know, I, I'm not sure what you're thinking, but I'm thinking that this is not. This was a mistake. For a week, I kept saying, you, you, you got this wrong. You, you're not, you got the wrong person. <laughs> I was laying in bed, watching TV, flipping my channels with my remote, turned on a TV show, and it happened to be, uh, I think, like Agent Aliens or something like that, because that's what I watch all the time. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Put the remote down, and the channel started changing, and it came up to a lady who preaches on TV, and I don't even remember her name. Um, and she spit out a Bible verse, Matthew 4.13, and I remember that very strongly, and then my channel changed back to what I was watching, all by itself, the remote's on the other side. So I thought, okay, I picked up my Bible, it happens to sit there, and I opened it up and read it, and in essence, what it said is, you are where you're supposed to be. I guess they couldn't kick me in the head much harder <laughs> without hurting me. <laughs> so at that point, I realized that this is where I'm supposed to be. And these are the people I'm supposed to be helping. Wow. Yeah. I remember when you first shared that story with me and that's really a remarkable story. I sat for about an hour thinking, did that really happen? Was I sleeping? Did that, was I dreaming? But no, it, it truly happened. I was still wide awake when it happened. A lot of people who, you know, who who take to prayer and ask for like a sign, you know, they're expecting that sign to arrive in a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. They they have an idea of what they want to expect, but you're not praying to yourself. You're praying to something bigger than yourself. And yeah. sometimes those ways 
come through in the often most unexpected times, in the most unexpected moments. And it kind of, well, it makes you pause, like you said, and, and stop and contemplate this for an hour. Yeah. Had I been seeing signs all week that I've been asking for? I, possibly, but I wasn't paying attention to them or I wasn't uh, accepting them. So this is the way they had to do it, you know, a little more theatrical. <laughs> Remarkable stuff. But there you were. Now you get your sign. Now you realize you're right where you need to be. Did you still have hesitation after that? Absolutely. I still, to this day, have hesitation and, you know, wondering if I'm doing the right thing or if I'm truly helping. And case by case, when people come back and say, we've been able to settle into our house or we're feeling better or back to work or, you know, whatever the case may be, whatever their situation was, and they come back and say these things, it, it makes you realize that you are helping people. And that's, I'm assuming, I'm assuming. Um, I'm assuming that that is what the beginning of my life was for, to make me strong enough to want to help people get through what they were getting through because I didn't have the help that I was I needed when I was going through it. It would have made things a whole lot less scary. I had heard at one point that when you get into the work, each case that you go on, you kind of sacrifice a little bit of yourself as a result of it. Is that true? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it definitely takes a piece of you. I can't say definitely one way or the other, but I've had two heart attacks, three stents, and six mini strokes. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, I think it. It, it wears on your health. It doesn't, it doesn't help it at all. Um, but I'm still here. So there's a purpose and it's greater than me. So I, I move forward with it. Do you think you'll ever get out of it? I, no, I don't think, I think if somebody came to me at 80 years old and said, I need help, I'd have to find a way to help them. Yeah. Would there ever be a point where, you know, kind of like a, a boundary that you know that you recognize as okay this is my limit I, I i can't help with this or or i can't do this there are cases where we have called people that uh, evident you know obviously are are much more um experienced because uh, nobody's an expert but experienced in this and we call them and and we'll hand them off if we can't if we can't help the person because the last thing we want to do is harm them more and you have to be that person to be able to say, this is, this is just out of my realm. I need help. A lot, a lot of times it's, it's conversation over the phone. What should we do next? What, what's the next step? And then sometimes it's, okay, we can't do this part. Can you handle it? And they take it on from there. Yeah. That first case that you went on that kind of introduced you to this, what did that case look like? What were some of the details? Um, it was a definite demonic possession. The lady was uh, a nun, and it had all the trademarks of. And I didn't, I didn't, wasn't in the, involved in the whole case, but it had all the trademarks that night of a demonic possession. Things apparating in the house that weren't there, um, smells that were ungodly, uh, sounds that came from 
nowhere and everywhere. Uh, the woman herself speaking in tongues. I, I remember at one point standing at the stairs with her while she was putting holy water on herself, trying to keep herself in this space instead of, you know, letting the spirit take over. And she was speaking in tongues and I was standing at the at the stairs and the door was to my right to exit. And I was trying to think if I could get to that door fast enough and get out it before she went totally one way or the other, you know, it, it definitely, definitely shook up the troops and watch the, watching the end result of that night. And that night was a, a culmination of a lot of different times that they had gone out there um, and watching what happened to her at the end of that night as she released that spirit was I've never seen a movie that could depict it as well as what what happened yeah in, in your best way to describe it what how do you know it it released from her she was probably 110 pounds soaking wet and she probably threw up 120 pounds of something then her whole demeanor her facial features, everything changed back to that soft person that she was. Because when we walked in, she was that very soft person that, again, she was a nun. She was that very quiet lady. And then all of a sudden she wasn't. Facial features and everything changed. I mean, very hard and very uh, scary, very rugged. And then that that last couple minutes of her releasing and just watching that facial, the muscles in the face, that the structure of the face changed back to that nice, soft, calm person that she was. A lot of people who may be listening you know, to this conversation who are part of the church, they may find that disturbing, that someone in the church could get possessed. How does that happen? Who better? Honestly, right? Yeah, I mean, we, and we And we worked on a priest once, um, but who better? I mean, who, what better conquer? You know, what better thing to conquer than someone like that? A lot of times spirit that that, that kind of those kind of spirits go after people that, you know, people say, oh, you're crazy. You're you know, you're acting out. There's something wrong with you. And yes, because they have a weak point. That's how that kind of spirit's able to get in. But with priests and nuns and people that are, are of a religious background, who who better to conquer? Yeah. OK. Fair enough. That that's that's a good point. And this is a diabolical force that we're we're talking about, right? I mean, their yes. prime directive is to destroy humanity, mm-hmm. collect souls. Yes, you recognize a lot of these warning signs, right? These red flags, mm-hmm. oftentimes before the homeowner or the people involved will see them. You know, one of those warning signs is kind of like that divide and conquer strategy, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. There, there's so many other uh, of these red flags, of these warning signs. What can you share about that? What would you say are some of the number one red flags of, of something like this? Um, illness that comes from nowhere. Not to say all the illness that comes from nowhere is demonic, but with, with, with everything else, we look for more than one flag at a time. You have to have quite a few to say, yes, I think we have something that's more diabolical here than um, human. Issues in the home. We look for plumbing issues. All of a sudden, all the pipes burst at once. Not not your toilet went bad or your sink drips, but all of a sudden, you know, or you, all of a sudden, every night you have water running. The water turns on all by itself. 
um, electrical issues where you have people come out, you have electricians come out and they say, we've checked everything, everything's fine, but yet the lights flicker, they turn off, they don't turn on, you know, TVs turn on and off, the, they dim, whatever the case may be, things like that. Uh, insects, lots of insects. If you have, you know, Amityville horror that flies, right? I've seen that many flies in a house. Uh, invasion of ants and you know you have exterminators come out and do what they're supposed to do and nothing stops it that kind of thing looking for changes in personalities a lot of times people that have issues tend to again they isolate themselves but they'll tend to start doing things that they normally wouldn't do drinking doing drugs things like that you know they start and it's it's to ease the pain so to speak because they can't explain it, so they're trying to figure out some way to do it. Just so many things that we look at and go, yeah, that's a flag, <laughs> and to name them off the top of our heads. Uh, when did it start? Did you move in 10 years ago, and this activity started 10 years ago? Did you move uh, something into the house, a piece of antique furniture or something like that? Did you bring something into the house? It just started, so you've been in the house for 10 years, and it's been quiet until two weeks ago when you brought this item in, you know? People that, again, they tend to take a Ouija board and think it's a game, so they have a couple drinks and sit and play on it, and then all of a sudden they have activity and, and stuff going on in their house. Or they try and do things that, and I'm, I don't, I don't want to get caught in a loop here, but I don't want to, spells and things like that. People do spells, and they do know what they're doing with them, and so I don't, I'm not talking about those people, people that don't understand what they're doing. Like, like I said, the Ouija board. I teach it in class as a divinating tool, but if you don't know how to use it properly, how to open it, how to close it, how to protect it, you know, protect yourself and stuff, it can be a very bad thing. It's just, we give them a list of things and there's like 60 items on the, on the uh, paper and it's fill those out. And if you get, start to get too many ticks, then you can't, those flags start to light up that there's something going on. Yes. So it's kind of like you have to pinpoint the issue first before you know how to deal with handling it. You have to get close to it. You, you don't pinpoint because you never pinpoint it exactly, but you have to get very close to it, yes. Interesting. Kind of like a, a question I get a lot of times is new homeowners, when they're looking for a place to move into, a lot of times they're afraid that they'll move into a haunted house. What type of advice could you give a new homeowner who's looking for a new property to kind of like steer away? that's a tough one um, because you could walk into a house and go oh I don't even like the feeling of it then walk away definitely um, or you could walk into a house and oh my god I have to have it it's falling down it needs $100,000 worth of work but you have to have this house you can't not have this house you leave and think I can't leave this house I gotta have it I got whatever it takes to do it and I know I can't afford to fix it but I gotta have it that's a problem. That's a flag because something's drawing you in to that space. But if you're not, and everybody's sensitive, but if you're not looking for that kind of stuff, you can walk through a house and all kinds of spirits can sit in a closet and never, never appear until they need to. So it's hard to tell. It's go with your gut, look at the house. If you're afraid it's a haunted house and it doesn't matter the age of the house either. So if you go buy a hundred year old house, you might have no ghosts. You may go a buy a house that they just built. You are the first owner in it, and it is haunted because the land is haunted. 
the property that's on has activity, right? And not all houses are haunted that have ghosts. That's the other thing too, okay? Um, I have I have a ghost in my house. My house is not haunted. My neighbors think I have a haunted house, and I let them think that because then they won't break in. But <laughs> um, he is he follows the rules, and he exists in my house, and we exist we coexist in the house, and it's fine. So he is a spirit in my house. But yeah, it's it. Look at how many times the house has been sold over the last couple of years. Are people in and out of it, you know, six months, a year, and people are out really quick. Also, I, I tend to look at the people that are in the house. Why did they sell it? You know, the people that were in the house before us uh, had a divorce. So they sold the house. Well, it ha- so happens that three years before that, the people that owned the house got a divorce. That might be something going on. It might not be. It might be coincidental, but it might be. So, I mean, if you're if you're truly afraid of buying a, a haunted house, A, have somebody come through the house with you that can sense that stuff, or go with your gut and listen to yourself, except when you think you have to have it no matter what, and you know that that house is just not right. Now, you mentioned that everybody's sensitive. Mm-hmm. There are some people who embrace that, who want to be, you know, who want to uh, kind of hone in and and, uh, enhance their abilities. And you teach classes with that. But then you have people who are reluctant and resistant to accepting that belief, accepting that Mm -hmm. fact, really, because I'm right there with you. Everybody is sensitive. Is there a possibility that, or, or have you seen this, where on a case, the forces at play tend to manipulate that, tend to use it against somebody to make them think that they're sensing something when in fact they're not, or like trickster aspects to this. You see where I'm getting at? A lot of times with cases like that, it's, it's the opposite way. You'll get somebody who, who, who senses it, and then you'll get somebody who could be or, or is okay with the idea of being sensitive but feels absolutely nothing. And that's where you get that. That's where you get that that fight, that divide. You know, there. I don't feel anything. There's nothing here. You're crazy. That you know, you're, you're making stuff up. Um, yeah, people do that. But yes, we are born sensitive. And yeah, there's so many different reasons why people stop doing it. A lot of people, religious reasons, or you know, family beliefs, or whatever the case may be. But some people stop because they had something happen as a young child, and the fear shut it off. A lot of times, that's who I get in class, is those people that, when I say fear, it wasn't because it was a bad thing. It was just because they were afraid of what it was. I mean, spirit is the ultimate ninja. You know, they can pop up anytime they choose to. So they'll come back to class and they'll, you know, they'll start to tell me that, you know, I used to, when I was little, I could see things. I thought I heard things. I had a, I had an invisible friend, that kind of thing. And they're starting to open it back up again. Because, yes, it is becoming socially acceptable to talk about your gut feelings and what you feel and what you see and what you hear. There are still times when I get people to look at me crazy, and I'm okay with that because I am. But uh, I think more people are starting to understand it. I do what I do. I have the shop, and I do readings. My daughter is amazing. She is very gifted. Okay, she has an ability that I don't even have. She has the ability of discernment. 
she is just now at the age of 27 starting to listen to for herself. She still doesn't want to do it for anybody else, but she's starting to listen more for herself, which is, uh, I think it's wonderful, but you know, but it's just when she was growing up, there were things that frightened her and she just doesn't want to see them because, because she has discernment. She saw that she sees the darker side and she just doesn't want to. And you can't blame her, you know? Yeah. And I remember one event that you shared with me, and I hope that's okay to talk about here is when you two were, or when she had seen somebody walk by and their eyes changed, right? Yes. We were in, uh, it was in the first shop, Burlington. We were in Burlington and she had come over to visit me. And we were standing outside and a uh, guy walked by and, I mean, his eyes went black. She said, they just went black, Mom. And he looked her dead in the face and then kept walking past her. And she walked back in the shop. She was a little shaky. And she, you know, she said, did you see that? Did you see his eyes turn black? And I said, I, I mean, I felt a little something, but I didn't see what you saw. She she saw it and she's seen that a few times in her lifetime and she knows to turn around and walk the other way. She knows because I've taught her that they can stand in front of you. That's fine. You don't accept them and you don't accept them in your life. So that's as far as they can go is standing in front of you and walking past you. So she understands that part of it, but it's still, it's still frightening. We were on a case towards the beginning of um, working with the group. We were on a case up in New York and she called me because there were things running around the house and running through my plants and stuff that she could see. Now, my husband was laying on the couch and, you know, he knew nothing of what was going on. He's oblivious to it. But she called me and she's like, are you okay? Because she knew at that point that there was something going on with what was going on with us. She didn't know exactly what it was, but she knew something was going on because of what was going on in the house. But again, I taught her to protect herself and to, you know, set her boundaries and stuff. So I told her, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Do what you have to do in the house, clear it out and be done. You know, she said she did what she had to do. She said what she had to say and everything left. And that was, that was fine. But she knew from that distance that we were having an issue where we were, you know, that's how strong she is. When we go on cases, even now she lives in Virginia. And even to this day, if I have a case coming up, she'll call and say, Hey, what's going on? Are you okay? And if I don't have the case yet, I know it's coming. Or I have to have the case, you know, I'll explain to her what's going on and just be mindful of what's going to be around you. Because a lot of times it'll bark to try and get you to leave, you know, push another button to try and get you to leave from giving help. And what's the biggest way to, to push my button? That's what my kid, you know. But what they don't know is my kid is a whole lot stronger than I am. So they're messing with the wrong person there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm glad that you brought up the, the barking aspect and I love how you, how you phrase that as, you know, they're just trying to bark at you, right? They're trying to use fear to kind of get you to walk away from a case. What was the most intense barking session that you've experienced prior to working on a case? Um, my husband, again, who doesn't believe in any of this was watching TV, fell asleep on the couch. I had come home from a case and I don't even remember what the case was. I don't remember what we were doing, but I, I just remember that it came, we came, I came home and I walked through the living room and he sat dead up, opened his eyes, looked at me and said, I can get you from here too. 
closed his eyes, went back to sleep, and went back to snoring. That that caught me. Whoa. That definitely caught me for a minute. Yeah. And he didn't have any recollection of doing this? No recollection at all. No. And if it was a dream and it was coincidental, that was a really, really good coincidence. <laughs> yeah. But the look in his eyes was, he, A, he wasn't home, and B, it wasn't him. You know, but it was definitely, it was, you know, I can get you from here. And I, I had to take a step back for a second and think, no, you really can't. But it, it took me a minute to, to take that step back and think about that. I panicked. <laughs> oh, I bet. I mean, that's pretty intense. You know, Hollywood looks at this and they tend to embellish a lot of this stuff. You really don't have to embellish this stuff. This stuff is scary enough on its own. When you were filming with some of these TV crews, you, you had to set kind of boundaries, right? Remember that, that one incident you're talking about with Marsha, also, you know, the co-owner of the store, mm -hmm. your partner in crime here. Yes. And you two were working on a case. Share with me a little bit about that, because I think that's a really profound uh, example. We were filming with a, a group that was trying to get on TV. It never went any further than that, but it was a place in uh, Mapleshade, uh, a house that was empty. It was, uh, they, they, they tore it down not too long ago. But um, we were in filming and we were in the basement and this house had a lot of negative, negative things going on and it had a lot of negative things going through throughout the years um, in the house, even when people were living there. And we were in the basement and I was on, so the stairs came down and we were under the stairs. You, you could walk through underneath the steps. And I was on one side of the stairs, and she was on the other side, and then the filming crew was back behind her. And I felt something move through between us. And I looked at her, and because she put her head down for a second, and I said, are you okay? And, she, and you can get this from her, but my recollection of the conversation was she's, she kept thinking in her head, just give her that smile, that smirk. And that smirk is that ear-to-ear -ear fake smile that just doesn't look good. In movies, it looks real good when you're looking at demonic things. Um, and she looked up, and as she picked her head up, her eyes were white. There was no black. There was no iris. There was nothing. There was just white. And I instantly turn off the cameras. We're done. We're walking out. We're out the door right now. We have to go. And she was at least conscious enough to know what was going on. What it was was something walked through her that she needed to listen to me. And that's a big thing when, when, we, when we do investigations. If she says, I need you to walk outside, there's no questioning because you are always the last person to know you're being affected. So she just, okay, and out we went. But the, the film crew was like, oh, can we get it on film? Oh, can we do this again? Oh, we can do, no, we can walk outside and you can turn off the cameras and we can be done tonight or we can be done for good. But that's it. We're not putting anyone in jeopardy, and that's not going to happen. Yeah. I can only imagine their faces, you know, because they're trying to capture this, right, on, on camera. But you know that when you're handling these types of situations in these cases, getting things on camera 
is actually a very dangerous thing, right? Yes. Yes. And from what I've learned from you guys is when you get evidence working one of these heavier cases, you're not supposed to hang on to that evidence, right? You're not no. supposed to we, share it. You just, it serves its purpose. That's it. We do not. And we tell clients to come in with pictures and stuff. Oh, look at this picture. Look at that picture. Thank you. Now delete it. Not only that, but seconds count, you know? I had to get her back in her own mindset to push this out because it only takes seconds for something to say, oh, I like this house. I'm staying. And then it's a, a battle uphill. Ay, ay, ay. Becoming possessed. How does it happen? How easy is it? I, I, will, I will answer this question for you, and then we won't go any further with this. You can talk to Marsha about it, okay? How easy is it? Um, it's simply giving permission. It's simply saying, okay. And it's that easy not to get it. Um, it's, it's, people do things all the time that would be considered permission and get away with it in their lifetime. You know, somebody gets hurt and, or somebody's sick and you, you wish you could make them better or you wish you could help them heal. Who are you wishing it to? Right? Who are you wishing to? Um, a family goes somewhere and you want to protect them. Specific, be very specific with who you're asking to protect them. Watch over them. Um, yeah, it, it probably took three seconds for me to say, pick on somebody else. And not being specific. And I was the only one in the building at the time. Gotcha. Yeah, I know that's a very... Um... You know, it's a very tough subject for you to talk about. That's why we won't get into that because I totally understand. But I just want to stress to the audience the severity of this. Yes, Hollywood portrays certain things because they're in control, right? They're writing the story. They're focused on the plot, right? And it always ends well. But when you take the reality of this, it doesn't always end well. And even when you're called in to help, Yes, most of the time you're effective, right? But there are some of those cases where you couldn't help them, right? Right. And one of those cases um, was the Levittown, Pennsylvania case, right? Yes. Can we talk about some of those details? Because I think it's important for the audience to understand how these things operate, the the devious nature of them and how they can pose as one thing and completely like fool you, trick you, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think people understand that because a lot of times, you know, people think that they have a haunt or that they have a ghost in their house. They think it's friendly, right? For you, it's different because you understand how these things operate. For a lot of people, that ghost girl that shows up, that little kid ghost or the uh, ghost that poses as their deceased grandfather or relative or what have you, it may not be what it appears to be. Nope, Lucifer doesn't hand you a card and say, hi, I'm Lou, can we have a chat? He doesn't do that. He absolutely comes in and says, hey, I'm a little kid, I need help, or I'm a, a lady that can't find her way. Or, I mean, there is, they are, spirits like that are never perfect, but how fast do you have time to look to see if something's imperfect? You know, are they missing an ear or the eyes of one eye droop does... You know, or they have a limp, or they missing an arm, or you know, whatever the case may be. But you don't have that kind of time normally when you're talking with spirit like that. Um, 
they appear, they talk, and you don't get to see them. Some people don't get to see them at all. It's more of a, a feeling you have to you have to feel when you know it's your family, it's family, and you can say to your family, if this is my grandfather, you may stay and talk to me. If this is not my grandfather, you are not welcome here. And that side has to follow rules. You have to invite them in. You have to, it's just like vampires. You have to invite them in the door. But once you say they have to leave, they have to leave. Demonic spirits have to leave, but they can certainly take their sweet old time and a lot of havoc and pain to get out. So I put it this way. I do not wish it on my worst enemy, anything like that. And I've had, I've had investigators that have come to me. I've had a couple that have let that stuff in because it and I I don't want to sound this way but I'm going to anyway because it, it irritates me sometimes people in the paranormal field feel like it's a badge of honor to have that issue have worked through that issue and I don't feel it's a badge of honor I was the scariest time of my life um and I again I wouldn't wish it on my worst nightmare but I had a couple people in here and I had one investigator come in once and I looked at him and I said why are you having such a hard time releasing it? It's because I took it. I said, why did you take it? Because I wanted to know what it felt like. Are you happy now? No, I'm not. Okay, then you need to change your thoughts around in order to push this out. Nobody, I don't care who they are, and anybody that's anybody in this field will tell you, nobody removes that spirit from you. They help you find the strength to remove it yourself. because. You're the one who let it in. You're the one who has to evict it. And sometimes that is very hard. I mean, they don't, they lie to you. They don't tell the truth. They they try and scare you. They try and tell you that they're going to hurt somebody that you love, that you care about if you, if you evict them. And you have to realize that where the lies are and where the truth is. Well, let's go back to this, this Levittown case, mm-hmm. because this is what happened there, right? I mean, you guys had originally got called in because the gentleman there was dealing with some stuff, both in a supernatural realm, but also in a in a mental realm. Yes. Struggling with a lot of things. But things took a turn for the worst. They didn't right away. <clears throat> I mean, it, it looked like the case was going in a good direction. And I wasn't working on the case to begin with. Um, I came in towards the end of the case. But it looked like things were going in a good direction. And um, he was getting help. At least we thought it was going in the right direction. He was portraying it that way um, until it didn't happen that way. In the end, he let whatever it was win and ended up taking his own life, which was which was terrible. And then after the fact, the lady got remarried and that gentleman started having an issue because of the other gentleman and the issue with that was never cleared up in the house, but it was um, the house and the land had a, a severe issue. And again, he had a mental issue, which gave that weakness and let that spirit in. And um, it, it, it didn't end well. No. That is kind of what, what creates a really, it throws a really uh, tough wrench into the whole thing, right? Is when you're dealing with people, who not only have a paranormal situation, they have a another situation, you know, mental health situation, and then it's hard to kind of figure out 
what is really going on here? And it could be that both things are happening, right? Right. But you have to, at that point, your job is to try. You can't definitely, but try to find out where the line is. And that's why I said you have to take care of the physical first. And then you can take care of the supernatural after that. But you have to take care of the natural first. We had a case where the gentleman had um, brain cancer. And he wasn't a nice person. And he had let something in. And he was asking for help to get rid of it. And we had found out that the brain cancer was... He, he should have been dead from it already. And so explaining to him that, yes, we would absolutely help him release from this because that's what he wanted. And he wanted to move on with without anything attached to him. But it was it was, it was almost like you, you know, got like a doctor. You got to say, hey, do you understand that your ailment is so far along that this might be what's keeping you alive? That that spirit was keeping him alive to do what they needed done. And when you kicked him out, that's a possibility that you're not going to last much longer, you know. And that was a hard part. And um, that person ended up choosing to live with what they had because they weren't ready to go yet. And that's a tough one to walk away from, too, you know. Well, yeah, this, uh, this now I see why you call them heavy cases. They're heavy yeah. on many levels. On many levels, yes. What about some of the the brighter stuff, right? Some of the lighter stuff. Because obviously you have to balance this out. Yes. And when you're working on this, these heavier cases full time, all the time, it gets to you. Yeah, you, you, can't, you can't do it. Nobody can do it. A lot of times people ask, how does it, why does a haunting happen? Why does it occur? Because we don't know the mind of God, but it's almost like those hauntings take place to show us something, to grow us, to mature us, right? To give us wisdom through that experience, just like you. You know, when you were a kid going through a lot of those haunting experiences, had you not gone through them, would you be where you are today? Would you be interested in this subject, you know? Right, right. Definitely. Probably, uh, probably not, because I was into sports, too, so I probably would have gone in that direction. <laughs> hey, you make a lot more money in sports, but... <laughs> Not as a woman softball player, but, you know, it's okay. <laughs> I would have had fun. <laughs> the cases where we go in and the the kids are not sleeping in their beds at night because they're afraid to, we get to, you know, after we're done helping them out or doing what we're doing, we get the parents to call back and or stop in and say, so-and-so has been sleeping in their bed ever since, and they're playing in their room, and that, that makes you feel so good. I mean, that makes it that makes it all right, you know. When somebody comes in and says that, I moved on, I went to school and I graduated and I got my degree and now I'm going to, you know, the job I want. But you knew that before that they were going down, down the tubes with whatever was going on, not sleeping properly because it was too active or whatever. When you get cases like that, people come back and they say, thank you. You know, it, that's always, always good to hear. And it's always good. We we did a case not too long ago, right here in Morristown. I actually... The lady came to class afterwards, um, took my class. We walked in, and she was afraid of her house. And just walking around, talking to the spirits, and then explaining to them who's there and that you're okay, everything's fine. They just they like your house. This is where they this is where they lived, or this is where they want to exist. So they like your house. They like your company. They like the comfort of your house. So they're good, you know. And just knowing that 
calmed the lady down because she was getting ready to sell the house. She wanted to move. Now she lives in it and she's getting ready to have her first child in her house with all her spirits in her house because she's learned that it's okay, you know, and that's, that's the good things. You know, that's the nice things to say. You know, the, the shows make them out to be very simple, right? Intelligent haunting, residual haunting, things you can get rid of, things you can't get rid of. Is that accurate? Intelligent haunting, residual haunting, poltergeist, um, things you can't get rid of, things you can't get rid of, things you can't get rid of. Um, <laughs> hmm residual hauntings it's just a playback it's just like a vcr tape they just either the time of the year or the atmosphere whatever it is just replays it that is not a spirit there you're just seeing a video is what it is that's all it is there's nothing else to it um there is no intelligence there's nobody home there intelligent haunting there are so many reasons that spirit hangs out here not stuck here but comes back here because Honestly, what, 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 if you had to explain to me what your heaven looked like, where's your happiest place in the world? Mm -hmm. I see what you're saying. Right? Yeah. I'm going to be with my kid. I'm going to watch my grandkids grow up. My kid said she's going to have me exercise out of the house. I told her I, I'm a human spirit. She can't do it. So, <laughs> But, you know, that's, you know, if your house was the happiest place you've been, you, won't, you don't want to leave it that one. That's where you want your heaven to be, right? Um, my spirit in my house now, his parents live up the street. So he lives in, he stays there so he can keep an eye on his, on his family. I mean, that's mostly why spirit is where it is. So just understanding why they're there to begin with. So that's, uh, intelligent and intelligence. We have free will, so you can't make them leave again. You can get them to work with you, to understand you, to, to cohabitate with you. But you can't make them leave. It's like me locking you out of your front door at 3 o'clock in the morning and telling you you can't get back in your house. You're solid. I'm pretty sure I'm still going to be scared of you. They're not solid. Again, the ultimate ninja. I, I, you know what I'm saying? And then you have poltergeist. Poltergeist is actually living humans creating the issue. Uh, usually it's um, females. Um, just starting uh, the change of their hormones and everything, um, doing it. And it, you just have to kind of ride it out. It's just excess energy that's burst through the building. If you remove them from the space, nothing happens. Bring them back, things start to happen. It's just their body has to get used to all those extra hormones and emotions and, you know, being a teenager and everything. And it'll it'll subside. It goes away, you know, that kind of thing. But they're the they're the most dealt with cases. Those three. When we talk about inhuman cases, and we obviously we covered a lot of that in the you know the the demonic cases in the beginning, but what about that other aspect of inhuman cases that involve creatures that we don't yet fully grasp, let alone be able to handle? What's that, have you had any of those cases that you've worked on where? Yeah, earth energies, uh, elementals, some people call them. Um, and some people think that elementals are bad, but it, it's like fairies. They can go either way. I'm not trying to piss off the fairies, but yeah, that kind of, it's kind of like having a squirrel in your attic or your basement or a raccoon getting in your house is what it is. And it's really just about changing the energy in the space and not making it welcome to them, you know? 
it's like a squirrel or a raccoon. They come in because it's cold outside. They want to come in in the warmth. So make it cold so they don't want to come in. That kind of thing. Yeah. It's just changing that energy around. A lot of times you find it in like basements and attics. Basements a lot of times. Have you ever been in a basement where you turn out the lights and have to run up the steps because you feel something? It's because it's underground and it doesn't get a lot of light. So it gets a lot of stagnant energy. Well, that's what that stuff feeds off of. Stagnant energy. Not, not negative. You know, not bad, but just stagnant. And that's why it's there. So you have to change that energy around to change them not wanting to live there. You guys at the shop, you, you sell a lot of crystals. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's a way, one of the many ways, I guess, that you can kind of change the energy. What are some other ways that you would recommend? So feng shui is always good, getting the energy moving through your house, um, putting mirrors or crystals in space where it's dark all the time letting the light in, opening up the curtains, letting the sunlight in, uh, changing the, the mood in the house, putting on some good music, raising, you know, singing, dancing, whether you sing or dance, I sing and dance and you don't want to hear me, <laughs> but it raises the vibration in the house, kind uh-huh. of changing it up that way, smudging the house, um, just adding that positive energy, that laughter, whatever, you know, bring your family in, laugh giggle if your family comes in and you argue maybe leave it on outside but you know have that good positive energy and just making sure that when you leave work or whatever the case may be clearing off your energy before you take it into the house brushing it off and letting all that debris that flack that builds up on us outside instead of bringing it into the house but it's really about just keeping that positive energy flowing through the house, keeping that energy nice and high and, you know, salt lamps. And there's a lot of different things you can do. Candles. There's so many different things you can do just to change the energy in the space. multidimensional things what about other realities in the sense of like us in another realm have you have you come across cases that challenged your belief system on what a ghost is uh yes and i've had conversations with people that have challenged my belief in it too and i am i am of the belief that spirit is we are energy we return to energy um but where does that energy come from and where does it exist I believe that God, by definition, is extraterrestrial, okay? Um, we did a case, it was over in Pennsylvania. A gentleman was having issues, and he thought it was spirit issues. And the more he talked about things and the way things moved around and happened in his space, we ended up actually getting MUFON involved and getting them to talk to him because we believe that it was um, more alien than spirit but there you have to go and and here's where i go off into the weeds because are we spirit are we aliens (laughs) okay are angels and i i i say that i'm an angel channeler i've seen angels all my life but the way i see them they look like what you would describe as an alien except not gray i see them very blue, a blue that you can never describe. I can't tell you what a, that blue looks like, but that's what they look like. So, you know, 
this this can go on. We can add another hour to this one because this <laughs> conversation could go, go on forever. Um, dimensionally, I think that we can say that the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot are dimensional creatures too because we've had a lot of people say, oh, we see them, but then they disappear and they're no way to be found. And um, I've heard a lot of investigators say, you know, I follow tracks for so long and then the tracks disappeared. And other investigators say, well, when you see them, we also have UFO sightings in the area at the same time. So honestly, we are all on so many different planes in different areas that that's what comes through. And, you know, when I say that we pass on, we pass on to the next plane, but we come, we're able to move back and forth through those planes. So I think that most of what we do is dimensional, you know, we're as a hard shell can't move through them as easily, but whereas spirit can. So yeah, we've been on a, we've been on a couple cases where, you know, people said, um, friends of ours that have see UFOs in the sky all the time, they have, uh, activity in their house and it, Sometimes seems like it matches up with when they have activity in the sky, and sometimes it doesn't. So, is it human spirits coming through? Is it are we alien spirits once once we leave the hard shell? I mean, that's that's a pretty good, pretty good question. <laughs> yeah, and I realized the complexity of that question. Right, that's why I was having a hard time trying to simplify it. But I love how you simplified a lot of these complex topics in the way that you're just explaining them, right? You have a lot of great analogies and it helps people to understand that. And I think that's why people keep coming back to your store, why they keep seeking you out, because not only do you have knowledge in this, but you have a a knack for explaining it to them, for being upfront and honest, but also understanding where they're coming from, understanding their needs, right? Their concerns. And I guess that, that ties into your your sensitive side or your psychic side or whatever you want to call it, being able to pick up on these things. Yeah. What are some of the like subtle signs of being sensitive that happen to us all the time, but that people may not be aware of? Well, the biggest thing is, and you hear people all the time say they're not sensitive, but then they say, my gut feeling tells me. Yeah. Well, the gut feeling is one of the strongest we call to crawl out of the ooze with, right? Because we needed that fight or flight. That's an ability. That's a, that's an intuitive ability. It doesn't come from our brain. It comes from our gut. Well, why does it come from our gut? Because that's the intuitive side of us. People will um, get uh, change of moods very quickly, and because the mood in the in the space has changed, you know, they pick it up that way intuitively. They're empathic. People feel all of a sudden they'll feel um, not feel well. I have a headache. I don't know where this headache came from. Well, somebody down the hallway has a headache or man, my back is killing me all of a sudden. So they're, they're, they're physical intuitives too. So they pick it up physically and they don't realize it because it's a physical thing. My back hurts. It must be mine. You know, I'm having an anxiety attack right now. It must be mine. I don't have any triggers, but it must be mine. So they, we have all these abilities that happen to us and not to diminish mental illness, but a lot of times intuitives have depression and anxiety and it's amplified because they're intuitive because they pick up on everybody else's. And I tell people that all the time, realize where you are at this moment 
is that anxiety is a, or depression, is there a trigger around you? If not, then give it away back to who it belongs to. It's not a karma issue. It's theirs anyway. Give it back to them and see if it doesn't go away because you turned your brain off to it. You're telling your brain you don't need to release those chemicals. You need to stop because it's not mine and see if it doesn't calm down. And then once it does, if you choose and if you can help the person that is having the issue, if you can't, then you can. I mean, it's it's not up to you to, to help everybody, you know. But a lot of people feel things and don't even realize that they're feeling them because they just push it off as, though, oh, my back all of a sudden hurts. I must have been walking too much or oh, my anxiety is, is kicking because uh, I must be you know, anxious or, you know, all of a sudden I'm feeling sad. Why am I feeling sad? I don't know. I'm just feeling sad. They don't, they don't take the time to really think it through and realize that it's not theirs. That's really profound. It's, it's great advice. Very intriguing advice too. So we've covered, a, we touched a little bit on the UFO topic and you know that that's something that I talk about a lot. And every time I come into the store, there's always somebody there who has a UFO experience to share with me. And oh, yeah. I had spoken at an event that you and Marsha had a few years ago. This is in Bordentown, New Jersey. And for those of you who don't know the story, or myself and several others were invited by Marty and Marsha um, to speak at one of the neighborhood businesses in Bordentown called the Old Town Pub. And it was a whole month of presentations and different speakers. And of course, yours truly spoke about the men in black. And at that time, though... Awesome lecture. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Um, at that time, you you were not very well versed in the subject. You didn't know much about it, at least from my understanding. You, Of course, you hear about some of those things on TV. You know, you read about it in passing, right? But you had never had an experience. Not, not with them, no. no. Two weeks after I gave that talk, you did have an experience. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about that in your own words? That was That was the craziest thing, and I say that as a ghost hunter. That was the craziest thing that I think I've experienced. Um, and I've seen UFOs, and that was nuts. We had gone outside after the lecture. We had gone outside to have a smoke, and people were still upstairs, and they were chit-chatting with the, whoever was lecturing at the time. I th believe it was Roz. Mm -hmm. It's Roz yeah. and Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Marsha and I are standing out there, and this guy starts walking down the street. We both noticed him. And, I mean, trench coat and hat sunglasses and it was nine o'clock at night nine thirty at night and marcia saw him first and she was like that's weird and i turned around and looked and i went yeah that's kind of creepy and the guy went past the building and down through a parking lot next to the building and she was like geez i wonder where he's going so i walked around the corner and looked and he was at this end of the parking lot and when i and i like three steps, he was already at the other end of the parking lot. And I had turned around to tell Marsha that that's weird. He's already at the end of the end of the parking lot. I don't know how he got there. He came around the corner behind us and walked past us. And I, you can't, it wasn't even robotic. It was just no movement. He turned his head and then went straight again and kept going. No facial emotions, no nothing, just, and then kept walking down the street. And as we're talking and talking about how weird that was, I looked up and he's not 
on the sidewalk. So I even stepped out in the street to find out where he was. And there was, he was gone. He was absolutely nowhere to be found. And there was not really a whole lot of places to duck into where he was walking. So I, yeah, neither one of us. And, and that, that, I don't know, that creepy feeling of being watched, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, what the heck was that? You know, that was a, that was an odd, very odd experience, but it was, and after it, you know, starting to read about the men in black and stuff like that and seeing some of the videos and stuff you put up, it's like, yes, that is exactly what happened. That was it. That was weird. That That is exactly what happened. And it's remarkable because, you know, we we discussed this, like, was he there for me? You know, but he obviously didn't get a memo because it was two weeks later. Right. But if you think about who was speaking at that venue at that time, Rosalind and Michael Lewis. And Michael Lewis, I know for a fact, because I spoke with him about this, he's had direct involvement with these men in black, but he had another name for them. He called them Beastie Boys. That was his little moniker. Yeah, 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 yeah. I heard him say that, yes. Yep. yep. Was this guy there for him? One can only speculate. Yeah. Nevertheless, it was a strange experience and one that now you will never forget because- yeah. You know how it happens now. These guys show up, well, guys and gals, they just show up and you don't really, you don't really connect the dots at the time, right? You don't think, oh, this is a man in black, right? It's not until afterwards yeah. that you're like, wait a minute, could that have been a... Yeah, I think it was right after that, Marsha called you and was like, yo, I think we had an experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I could just remember when you were, when you two were retelling the story you were still kind of wrestling with it. Like, did we really just have that experience? Did we really see what we think we saw? But the way that you're describing it, it seems very uh, eerily similar to a lot of these other reports. Yeah, it's it, and it's still very strong in my brain. My, I, I definitely held on to that one because that was something that was definitely, definitely out of the ordinary. And like I said, um, you're talking to a ghost hunter here that sees a lot of out of the ordinary stuff, but that, that was, that was, uh... I, I know we've talked about this before where you can pick up energy levels on people. When they come into the store, you can pick up on energy levels. Did you sense any sort of energy level or any sort of aura coming off this individual? No, it was more of a void. Nothing, nothing there, nothing registered. And I think that's what made it weirder was because, you know, usually when you see somebody walk by, you can get a sense of feeling or something. You could, there was nothing there. And so for him to disappear like that, I can understand why, because there was nothing there. <laughs> now I'm going to talk about something here. And if you'd rather not, I can just cut this. I don't want to scare off any potential patrons to the store. But what was it, last month, you had that person come into the store. Oh, yeah who gave a similar type of impression on you. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that? I mean, I've been, been, I've been doing this. I've been doing the ghost hunter store and in this place on Angel's Wings for over here, eight years now. Um, and I have maybe twice in the time being in the shop felt uncomfortable with somebody walking in. But this guy, my spider senses went up really quick. I just all of a sudden had to really keep an eye on what, what the hell was going on. And I noticed him just looking around and looking up. So my first thought was, you know, he's casing a joint. There's nothing here to steal, buddy. <laughs> Good luck with that. 
Um, but then just the way, and again, when, when people like that come in, I tend to try and pick up on the energy around them to see if it's a negative feeling energy. If they're, you know, you can, you can sense when somebody's going to do something wrong, you know, I got no feeling, whatever, whatsoever. And I think that's what really kind of unnerved me was I didn't, I wasn't getting anything. It was again, like a void, like nothing, nothing there. And the way he looked and the way he talked um, to me and looking me in the eyes. And normally you get people that look you in the eyes and you can feel them kind of like digging inside. I, it felt like he was just going right through me with his eyes. So I, I don't even, I don't, I don't know that any of my blocking could have done anything. Sorry about that. My phone. Um, I don't know that any of my blocking could have stopped any of that. So. I, it was just a very weird sensation. I remember afterwards I called Marsha and told her that she had to keep an eye on the cameras and um, that I really felt uncomfortable. I actually locked the door for a couple of minutes and went outside and took a breath because I felt uncomfortable after he left. And I had, before I walked out back, I walked out to follow him out front to see where he went because he went towards the bookstore. So I went around the corner to see where he went, and he wasn't, there was no car there, and he was gone. So I walked in the bookstore to see if he was there, and they said nobody walked in the door. So I don't know where he disappeared to. And the corner lot next to the bookstore is totally cleaned off with just a bunch of trees, So and they're skinny trees. So he wasn't like he hid behind the trees. I don't know where he went. I had Alex check his um, cameras, and he said he didn't see him come through. So I, I'm not sure where he went. So I'm not sure what kind of visitation that was. Hmm. And the reason I bring that up is because it wasn't two weeks after I gave a presentation at your shop. It was two weeks prior. Prior, yep. But that's how this phenomenon works. It always leaves you guessing. It kind of sprinkles things along to make you think that it's connected. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But it never gives you those definitive answers, just like when you're working on these cases. Right, yeah. You can't pinpoint it. It's impossible because it, it, the phenomenon doesn't operate that way. I don't know why you've been chosen to do this work. You don't know why you've been chosen to do this work. The only person who knows is the person that made you. Yeah. And maybe when I meet him again, he'll let me know why or give me an explanation. But I won't remember it the next lifetime, so it wouldn't matter. <laughs> but it at least gives you these incredible experiences in order to help others, in order to get people to think about other things, the reality of this, the positive side, the negative side, nevertheless, the impactful side. And these experiences take place for reasons unbeknownst to us. Sometimes we're given a little clue here and there, and it helps us along, but not always. I don't know who these mysterious individuals are, but I know who you are, and you're a wonderful human being. Thank you. I, hey, I thank you for all these these stories you've shared with us tonight. Where can people get in touch with you? On angelswing.com. No S on the end of wings. On angelswing.com. Um, we're on Facebook as well, on Angels Wings MMLLC. We're on Instagram as on Angels Wings 3. We're on TikTok, and I'm not sure what we're on that with. Marsha set that TikTok. one up. Um, we're on TikTok, <laughs> yeah. You know, you got to go with the times. Um, we're here at the shop 
Tuesday through Saturday, some Sundays, depending on what events are going on. But we're here um, 11 to 5 most days. Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm here till 7 because I have class at nine o'clock, uh, 7 to 9. We're always reachable by Facebook Messenger. And we're always reachable by phone. If you leave us a message, if we're not in, uh, 609-733-3699. You can find us. Easiest way, go to onangelswing.com. You can find their phone number. You can find their Facebook page. You can find their events, news, products, whatever you're looking for. The shop is called On Angels Wings, but the website, On Angels Wing, singular, Com. Or Google on Angels Wings MMLLC and you'll find us that way too. And if you feel like you're being bothered by a spirit, whether in your home or you personally, get in touch with them. These are the real deal people. They're going to help you out or at least find your help. Find your help. Yeah. Guide you, point you in the right direction. Marty, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. It was amazing. And I love talking to you, Justin. You have been listening to Terror Signals with Justin Bamforth and presented by Normal Paranormal. For more on this show and other topics of high strangeness, please visit normalparanormal.org or visit the program website at terrorsignals.com. 